Welcome to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. Your hosts are Alex Pachuk and John Massey. We have conversations with folks throughout the tech industry to get real-world perspective on how people make things happen for their careers and businesses. Check out pragmatically.com for more content just like this. In this episode, we catch up with our friend Frank Lacalamita to get his thoughts on leading transformative projects. Frank is currently the Director of Security, Infrastructure, and DevOps for Ample Organics. Recently, Frank and his team shared a story about how HashiCorp Nomad has helped them dramatically improve their productivity. Transformation's hard, right? Like, it's hard. It's, it's hard to think about. It's hard to kind of plan, like, really big transformational things. But then there's a lot of nitty-gritty, like, oh, cool, my idea's there. You know, someday, business-wise, you know, we're going to have this, these great things. But then like you have unconscious people around you, you have education problems that you have to solve. Uh, you have sometimes people have strong opinions and they're pushing back and kind of getting in your way. So those are some of the things that we're hoping that we can chat about. Yeah, it's also transformation is unavoidable, right? You want to have that. You want to have change. You want to have innovation. So, and it's hard to do. Yeah. So that's why it's yeah. kind of a really interesting topic to, yeah. to deep dive and kind of talk about that with, with you. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I always tell all my colleagues and, and folks is that you have to embrace change because that's, that's, that's the era we're in, right? Your job in IT never stays the same, right? Since day one, you know, it's the only industry that every six months something is changing and you always have to adapt, right? And that's always been my, my focus for a lot of um, juniors and, and new, new, new people who are coming into the industry is you have to accept change. If you don't, you'll be lost. Why do you say that? Why do I say that? I'd like, Alex and I know why you say it. Oh, <laughs> so if you think about it, uh, you know, in my, in my 19 plus years, right, I used to be a Unix guy, right? And I used to think Unix is the way of the future and I will be happy being a Unix person. And then you start noticing the, the open standards generations start coming. You start noticing the wave of open, of the open standards. And you start realizing that, oh, wow, all of a sudden you can do so much more with these open source projects. Like the evolution of that has just exponentially just skyrocketed. And now the Unix world where I came from, it was all proprietary. So if you don't accept that change, you will be that IBMer who's on a mainframe and he will never ever adapt and grow. And that's where I, I saw that. There, so there's, um, yeah, so definitely, okay, so as, a, as an individual, you're uh, expanding on yes. your skill set, right, and you're exposing yourself to new ideas. Yeah. You said something and, else that, I don't, I don't want to, I, I know I'm interrupting you, but you used, so you said that you can do so much more. Correct. Right. That directly speaks to productivity. Yes. Right? And that, like, so it's easy for you to convince me or Alex on our call today that transformation is good because we've seen that, right? We've seen those benefits. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll say, well, it's expensive. If, if it's ain't broken, why fix it? <laughs> so time to, to move from, you're actually right. I, I say the same thing sometimes. <laughs> but in the reality of, of, of a business, time to market is everything, right? The faster you get your products out there, the faster you get revenue, profits, all that, right? 
if you are always waiting back on the proprietary products, the, the you know the old legacy platforms, the open standards is like, hey, I can go and select, I don't know, let's say a DevOps tool. I don't need to go to IBM and get a license and go through that entire process of procurement when in less than an hour, I can have an environment up and running. And then all of a sudden, I can start shooting up my product fast. Like that generation, that, that, that evolution is what kickstarted, you know, the time to market, the automation, the, the, the push to, to get to cloud, all that. It all started from there. And that's why I, when I look at that, that's what really was a driving force. That's why I, if you look at companies like IBM, they suffered because they didn't follow. They didn't try to adapt. That's why they purchased Red Hat because Red Hat was the leader in that at that time. So you see it's all around us. If you don't realize that, you're in the wrong industry, to be honest. Like, you shouldn't be here so in, the, in tech. The, the, thing that, um, the thing that resonates with, with me and, and, and tying this back to transformation is when we're going through complex transformation, we have a lot of stakeholders that are that stem outside of the our immediate audience of technical folks that can hang in the conversation, right? We're using language that we're accustomed to. But sometimes we also have we're accountable for representing the business value, reminding ourselves, reminding our team and our colleagues, and probably our CEOs as well. Uh, this comes up often like, why are we going to the cloud? Why do I have to invest in that? I have data centers. Isn't that good enough? Right. Uh-huh. So it's the, yeah. right. Like yeah. there's the, the oh, yeah. dollars and cents. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the other aspect to this is when, you, when I used to talk to in my previous role as a consultant to the C, the C level folks, the big ones were how much is it going to cost me? Right. And how fast am I going to get my products out there? Because at the end of the day, they don't want to spend money and they want to, they want to gain as much profit. Right. And that's their goal. So when you look at cloud, you really, what you're doing is you're, you're reducing your data center costs, to, but you're also reducing your OPEX in a certain degree, because now you don't need to pay for someone at a data center to, to manage, right? You can actually start, that's what's happening, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's where the, the C-level folks are looking at it. They're saying, I don't need a 500 IT member team. I could probably run with half of that because now I'm going to a managed service model, right? Mm-hmm. I'm starting, now all I need to do is develop the automation tools that, you know, that interact in and integrate with these managed services now. So that's where it's coming from as well, right? And that's where the transformation is like, oh, I'm a sysadmin. Well, no, not anymore. You're now an SRE. You're a site reliability engineer, mm-hmm. right? You don't manage systems anymore. You're gonna manage tools that do automation. Right. That's everybody's jobs are transforming. Right. It's not just the business. It's not just the technology. It's also the people's jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what signals do you see? What pain points do you experience to kind of approach the transformation when you see like, Oh, there's an opportunity, there's a need to make a change. So how do you, how do you approach that? So at, uh, at my previous company, I, I assisted with a lot of transformational programs and it always talked about the three pillars, which is people, process, technology, right? And those are the three pillars you attack. So from a people perspective, you have to evaluate um, the individuals 
what their jobs, what their roles and responsibilities are. Once you have that, you start looking at the processes, what you have in place today and where you want to be. And then the last part is what you have today from a technology perspective and where the business wants to go. Because the technology is easy. That's a rip and replace, right? That's how it is. The process and the people is what is more difficult. And sometimes you will need to re-educate a lot of the individual because their jobs are going to change, their roles are going to change, or they may not even have a job to go to, right? Like, and, that's the, and that's the fact. The process is kind of the glue between the business and the IT because you want to put in enough rigorous um, processes in there for like audit trails, but you also want to have the flexibility to help the business push products and, and releases and, 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 and whatnot, right? And that's where the whole transformation program comes into place because you're going to dissect basically the company and how it runs. And then with all of that information, you assess and you start saying, okay, where do you want to be? Because the business wants you to start pushing out, let's just say they want to do 500 releases a month, right? Let's use that as an example. And the IT folks are like, well, I don't have the manpower to do that. I don't have the tool sets to do that. And I don't have the processes that will allow us to execute that many. So then you start breaking that down. So you're like, okay, so you're here today and you want to be fully automated or do you want to be maybe, you know, semi-automated? And then you have a roadmap that will say maybe by the end of the year, you'll be fully automated, right? Because you won't be able to flip the switch in one night because it'll take time to educate your staff, your, 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 your IT. You mentioned people. So excellent way to break it down, by the way, because really those are, I think the, the big parts. And I think the, for some folks, you have a business team, they might be a stakeholder somewhere in maybe in the process area or they're kind of driving. Let's talk about like people. Have you, have you gone through, have you had to kind of, so you shared a story with us where, uh, or with me, I think the last time, last time we spoke about, how you were selecting automation tools and starting to bring in new processes. And I suspect that had an effect. Did that, did that have an effect on the people in the organization? Oh, yes. So at Ample Organics, the first, let's call it 1.0, there was no governance. Every DevOps SRE thought they had the, the accountability, the responsibility to pick and choose what tool sets they want to implement into the company and use it for themselves. And, and was, because, that like a, was it like at a per team basis that they kind of solved their own problems or was it? It, it was across the board. Okay. It was across the board. So developers selected their own tool sets, the SREs, DevOps, and no one talked to anybody. Mm-hmm. And you could imagine the, the amount of complexity, I call it complexity debt, that was established, right? It just what kept on we, growing. So what is, what, how do you describe, could you describe complexity debt? Uh, complexity debt is basically undersimplifying your um, your organization's tool sets, um, technology people. So you may have multiple um, roles that are redundant, right? You you can have technology of having multiple software or products that are doing the exact same thing. So why would you add that? You know, um, it can even go as far as the the infrastructure, the design that was chosen. You can have like a multiple, I will call them, in Amazon's world, they call them VPCs, right? So those are the networks, right? The cores, right? You could say, well, instead of being a multi-tenanted 
architectural infrastructure is 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 single tenant, right? And then also that becomes complex. That's where it comes. So by reducing your complexity debt, you're going to a reduce your opex spending, right? And plus you're going to by reducing opex spending, you also reduce your unfortunately your staff, your people, um, because you won't need them as much. And as well, it stabilizes the environment, right? You start adding more stability. So thank you. Yeah, definitely well described. Yeah, I've never um, heard I that could, term before. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> if I could kind of rephrase it, it sounds like there's there's some companies, I think, uh, I don't want to speak for Spotify, but I think they've, um, they've adopted what, to me, if I could from the outside in kind of, um, if I could put a label on it, they've used uh, kind of like a microservice front end or front end as a service kind of model. And that mindset is, they're okay with complexity debt in this in the shape of let's say I'm using the same or different versions of similar libraries are being loaded in the application at one time for the sake of allowing teams to be kind of self-organizing and kind of committed to like selecting their own tool set. So they're it seems like they've kind of governed it a little bit differently. Is that kind of a similar or is that kind of close to kind of kind of so if you look at it from, from their perspective, they will take on complexity, correct? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, is their OPEX spending, you know, over the top? Are they spending more than what's, than what's coming in, right? Are their accounts payable overcoming their accounts receivable, right? Are there stability issues in the environment? So is it hard for them to keep up to speed with their security patches or um, the releases? Right? It all depends on what level of complexity um, you're willing to, uh, to, to withstand, to accept, right? Okay. So, for example, at Ample Organics, you know, they were pushing only eight releases a week. And if you're lucky, it was really four because the other four most likely failed, right? And if you start, if you start you know, unraveling that onion, you start realizing why they're you know, they're only pushing eight a week when you have over 125 clients that you need to push these releases to. So you can imagine on a one-year basis how many releases they're actually pushing out. They're only pushing maybe two by the time they're, they're, they're completed their round. And they'll never ever complete their round because by the time they finish their first round, you're, you're overlapping with your second wave of releases. So when you look at that aspect, the complexity, the, the complexity that it was established in the environment did not help. It didn't resonate. It didn't help the time to market for the product team or for, for the business. I see, I see what you mean. So at, at what point do you see a need to debug issues like that? Like, it's not like you every day going through like, Oh, how many belts we have and like going through all the issue, <laughs> possible issues, right? At some point it has to come up. So at, at what point do you start looking at, at issues like that and debug them? So when I joined Apple Organics, I had to assess the environment. Right. And I did the whole transformation. Like I got a, I have a budget, right? So I receive the budget and I look at the price tag and I say, Oh my God, like this is crazy. Right. Like how can you spend, you know, like send over 75 K a month on your AWS when you, with my background, I used to be an architect, you know, it's like, I can do this for half the price. Right. And then you start again, start poking at other things. Like why are we only doing eight releases a week? Like this is ludicrous. Like, how can you have a product and how can you um, have clientele, you know, happy accepting clientele uh, of these features, which they're waiting on for months. 
like things just didn't add up anymore, you know? And then, you know, you have your, your stability issues. So, you know, because they're not pushing the releases fast enough, the application has a lot of bugs. So then you have stability issues, right? So then all of a sudden, you know, your SLAs are starting to get affected. So it's like a domino effect, right? Everything you, you look at, you'll see another issue pointing in another direction. So when you start, you know, reviewing and reverse engineering the environment and you start looking at it and you're like, okay, so there's time for change. And when you ask the individuals, you know, who architected this, who's the architect, nobody puts up their hand because there are no architects. Mm. And that's where it starts stemming from a governance perspective. So as part of my solution, I had to hire a architect. I hired a cloud architect, right? To help fix the problems, to help re- unravel all the issues, right? So to simplify the environment, so to speak. So that's where the complexity that comes into play. I simplify this environment. I resolve my cost, my OPEX. I resolve my stability issues. And I also resolve my, my, my releases, right? And that was the program. It was basically, how do I reduce, how to increase my stability and how to, and plus all these securities involved in that, right? How do I not affect security? And that was the program. So we had a, essentially a six month project that we attacked this from all different sides. So you, this is great because you were, we're kind of telling a story in not exactly order. I think we just went right back to the beginning of identifying transformation. Uh, yeah. So I also appreciate it sounded like you had a number of uh, KPIs that you were looking to improve based on yeah. prior experience. That's right which is also quite invaluable. And then it also sounds like part of the transformation was identifying new roles that were not, that did not yet exist. Correct. That's exactly it. That's right. So that comes to the people, right? So when you started looking at the, assessing your, the, the people of the organization, you start noticing the gaps and then you have to figure out how to resolve those gaps, how to fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, in this situation, there was no governing body for the technology. Sure, and yeah. that's where it's done from. So you, you added a new role in an organization that's probably never wrote, written that job rec before. Correct. Right. What would be your strategy? Like, how would you coach someone kind of through that part of the process? Like, how do they know they're asking the right questions? Sorry, from what perspective? So they, they've never had, let's say a company's never hired a cloud architect. Yep. How do you know how to draft that job rec? Or do you just oh, go first add? So, so for me, I used to be a cloud architect. So for me, it was really simple. So easy right? mode, just be a cloud architect. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a cloud architect. So it was easy for I knew what was missing. I used to do that role, right? So, so yeah, so from my perspective, basically I went to, you know, the, the CEO and I said, this is your gap. This is the reason why you're here today, right? And it's like, you, you've completely overcomplicated your environment. And... Everybody thinks they have a say. Everybody thinks they have their own piece of the game, of the puzzle. And I said, that needs to stop. Successful companies always have a governing body. And that's how it works. Regardless if it's right. How did you back that up? I just backed it up with my experience. So if you look at a lot of the enterprise companies, you know, know, I'll take what this, the the IBM, the Canadian tires, the Loblaws, the CGIs, uh, and then there's the payment side of the fence, right? 
it's basically, this is how it works. You have architects and they, they, you know, they, they're seasoned. So they understand what needs to be done. They're the seniors and for whatever it's right or wrong, you need a title associated with that, with that responsibility. So, and I had to educate the company on that because they kept on raising their hands. Like, well, what happens if he makes the wrong decision? And I said, that's okay. It's okay to make the wrong decision, but I want someone held accountable for that wrong decision, right? They're not going to get fired, right? But I just want someone to have their name tied to a decision because that means we move forward, right? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it's like, yeah, it's actually really interesting because it's not just about centralizing control. It's about centralizing iteration, right? If you have, if like we had somebody that was accountable for a specific aspect, you have a place to provide feedback and at the same time that you know that feedback is going to be applied consistently, right? And it frees yeah. the rest of the organization to think about other things. Correct. Exactly. So this also comes from a, I hate to use the word PMO, but PMO. And I'm not a project manager. I'll never call myself a project manager. But at Amp Organics, I had to implement a, a PMO framework on top of the ITIL. And that, again, stands for, because decisions were being made, but I keep on questioning them. I would say, why? Why is this a high priority? What is the benefit? So it would all come back from, it stems from the PMO. So you have an idea and then you pull in the technical resources like the architects and the SMEs or the, you know, the DevOps, the SREs, the sysadmins, the developers, they are contributors to the solution. But at the end of the day, the architect is the one that signs off on what the solution really is. And he may go with your, your suggestions or he may not. Mm-hmm. But at least it gives people a sense of direction from a, from a project perspective, right? And a company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if things don't go, if things go south, that's fine. Like I keep on saying, I tell people, that's fine. But I just want to make sure that everybody came to an agreement. They really work together for a solution, a project, and we have a signature on it and we can move forward. And it's all about moving forward, right? And not wasting people's time with other priorities, which are not required. So important, right? So, important. <laughs> so speaking of people and, and transformation, so you convince, so one of the kind of sides is you have to convince the executives, right? To have this transformation, but you need buy-in from the executives. Yeah, you need, yeah. you need buy-in. So you convince everybody, but then on the other hand, you have people. And like you said, it's going to affect everyone, right? Jobs going to change. Some jobs going to disappear. So how do yep. you, how do you convince people, people who are actually going to work on, on the, on this transformation to actually buy in and, and be part of it? motivate people. That, whew, that's a tough one. So the it, reason it I say that yeah. it, it's because every individual, and again, it comes back to is, will they accept change? Will they adapt to change? Because some individuals will not. They're hard set on their role and they will not want to adapt. And you need to figure out as a leader of who you know will leverage the, the, the change the world of transformation and who will not and that that's your job as a leader. So you will way ahead of time after you've done your assessment of the people, you will understand who is willing to learn and who's not. 
And it's unfortunate is that the ones that want to learn, you're going to, you know, push training. You're going to uh, have them, you know, incorporate into the transformational program, be a part of it. Cause that's, what's really important, right? A lot of the folks, they, if they're not a part of the solution, right away, they will, um, go, they'll go the opposite way, right? They're going to be against you. And that's where it's key. And you'll find those people uh, when you, when you do the assessment on, on your org, you know, there's the folks who want to be part of it and you will, and you'll let them, and you'll see it grow. They'll grow themselves, which is an, a spectacular thing to see. And the folks that aren't, it, it's basically, unfortunately, you show them the door and you replace them with someone else. Like you have to have that cutthroat, you know, attitude when it comes to those individuals, because you have a goal that you have to meet and it's, it's they're running the business, right? Like it's not personal. This is all business. Right. So after folks uh, kind of have a chance to understand the, the bigger picture, the vision, why the change is planned, yeah. right? So all the benefits and, and value and all the work that uh, the organization is putting into education and kind of uh, all this time and investment in, in people. And if they still kind of are not part of the um, idea or not kind of didn't, buy-in, uh, I guess it's, it's kind of like you have to make tough decisions at the end. They, that's exactly it. Like, I'll be on, like on, on, here's a great example. On, on one of my teams, you know, either I would call them, they're like tier one support, right? They're like your traditional, I would say like a knock. Okay. And you know, they're hardware support and they do very basic tech support. So my manager who they report into, we sat down and I basically told them, your jobs will be, you have two choices. You have this can say what you're doing today and knowing that you may not have a future or B, you may learn something new and adapt and you will have a future, right? And those are your options, right? I'm being very honest and cutthroat and that's who I am. And they actually adapted. They wanted to learn the automation tools because they, they were hungry. And those are the people you want, right? And today they're like my SRE team now. Right. And they haven't left and they're more than happy because now they learn something. They're, they're, you know, they're growing. And even from a personal perspective, I'm happy because they can actually move into another company. If they want to leave because there's a better opportunity, I've done that for them. I help them. All right. That's yeah, one, man. yeah. One example, the previous company I worked at, uh, QA engineers, quality assurance, it was expiration. They had an expiration date on, on that job title. So they had to, <laughs> move to be either software engineers or move somewhere else. Like it will, like the company made a decision. We're no longer going to have mm-hmm. QA engineers. So that was a similar kind of situation. And most people yeah. were willing to go to, through the training and do kind of study and they had all the support they needed. So uh, it was most of the people had kind of success throughout mm-hmm. the transformation. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. um, there's uh, some nuance too, as probably as part of the proposal do you also lead with like an education budget or proposal for continued yeah. learning for the staff when yeah. kind of this career growth, right? Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So uh, with the career growth it all, and again, with my one-on-one that I have with everybody, including the, you know, the system is, it's all about what their career growth, what their, what their visions are in five years. And I basically work within uh, with a, um, basically a, a career program. Um, so you know, there's, there's, there's like Linux Academy that we've, that I've worked with that we kind of put up a plan to say, Hey, if you want to go down the DevOps path, these are some of the courses you need to learn. 
right? And these are the tool sets we're going towards, you know, like Ansible, learn Ansible, you know, and, you know, once you complete that course, you're going to have a shadowing program. So you'll shadow people, right? It's, it's all about that. And that is another aspect, but that, that is like a leadership manager type of world, right? Like that's your job is to have your team grow, right? Yeah. Like it's from a transformational perspective, you know, that should be what a manager does is to ensure that his, his squad is, is up to speed to know that the new responsibilities that are coming down the pipe that they're prepped and ready for. So transformation also has an effect. Um, sometimes parts of a company will change and uh, the form and function of that part of the company uh, might have an SLA with other teams and groups, right? And so yeah. you, you can't always keep those same contracts. Those things are going to change and you'll have an effect on other parts of, of, of the company. And sometimes you'll discover an effect that you've inadvertently created, right? Going through transformation, like, oh, right, we forgot to have a meeting with with uh, this group over here to let them know this was changing. Oh, geez, right, this this was some kind of old feature that, look, you know, we haven't rebuilt it and it's something we'll have to get to eventually, but for now we'll have to make some concessions. Talk, can you talk to us about that? Like when, how do you address your s- stakeholders from an applied perspective? So the people that depend on the team that you're transforming. The interesting fact on with, with Ample Organic is that because they had no processes, and they had no internal SLAs, it was kind of a green field for, for me. So it's basically working with your, you know, your internal customers and, it, and it's to see where, what their requirements are. So my customers, they were QA. My customers were the development team. Uh, my customers were you know, the, the help desk or customer service representatives, right? Product team, those were all my customers. So you have to establish the requirements from them and everybody's different, but also it's also educating them on how the requirements work with processes. You know, you know, a lot of them were not used to that. You have to open up a ticket for someone to do work, right? A lot of people are just used to tap on someone's shoulder and say, can you do this? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's about educating them about priorities because when you start hitting a ticketing system with SLAs and, and priorities, then you start realizing that, I can't tap on that guy's shoulder because he has five other priorities he's working on, right? So it, it was all about how you educate the company on what their expectations are and how I can help them, right? And it's the level set. Because I was the owner, or I am the owner of the operational side of the fence, I was able to dictate what the SLO, not the SLOs, but the SLAs are from my perspective, what I can provide to them. Right. I can give you a response in four hours. I can't give you less than that. I took control of it. That was mine. Right. But if you're looking from a, from a external perspective, then that's totally different. Right. You're looking at the product team, right? The product team are the ones who own the SLOs and SLAs for the clients because they know them better than anybody they're supposed to, which is different. Right. And that's where the negotiations happen. Right. If they want a, uh, you know, a five nines, uh, SLA, how's be like, sure, pony up the dollars and I can do that for you. Right. Like that, that's what it comes down to. So that's where the negotiations happen. Like it's, it's not a simple conversation, right? It, it's something that you have to understand what they want and how I can provide them a solution that like we can meet somewhat halfway, hopefully. Right. So for example, I'll say like, 
a customer service team. You know, they never knew about incident management, right? They didn't know about like, you know, if I needed someone's help, I have to create a ticket and assign it to them versus I can slack them, right? And say, there's a bug, there's a problem. Like a lot of that. And then when you have the compliance coming in, like your SOC, your SOC compliance, that also kiboshes all of those anti-processes that you have in the environment because it's all based on your controls. So right? that, that's actually interesting. You're using a requirement as a means to create motivation for adoption. Yes, that's right. You got it. So as part of my roadmap, you know, I want to be SOC compliant. I want to be SOC 1 compliant. And when you have the buy-in from the executives, it kind of just filters down. It rolls down because you're enforcing, you're educating people to say, we're doing this because of this. There's a reason why. And it's a good thing, right? And it's, it, it's something for the company. It's, it, it showcases to the world that, you know, this isn't just a startup. This is a company that has processes in place that, you know, a Deloitte company has signed off on. You know, it's an amazing accomplishment. So that there is what was, is the tool I used to, to help move things along. Do you find that the, your message for describing the context, right? Providing context is to, for motivation. I, I think that's exactly, that's a lot of what we hear today, right? Like if you're trying, if we're trying to keep people engaged, stifle burnout, go through transformations, we provide people with the why, why should you care about this? What is in it? What's in it for me? to commit to, to commit to these ideas, to commit to my team, to doing this work. That's not exactly the things that I actually think are going to drive the business forward or improve the productivity of my team. So do you find that sometimes you have to tailor the why a little bit for each of these groups? Yes. So I kind of chuckle at that because when I own the, the operational side of the fancy infrastructure and security, I have facts and evidence as to where we are today. So if we are up in the middle of the night because of stability issues during the day, I have no staff to do work. So the product team, how am I able to help you push products to the preview or the UAT environment for your customers to test if my people aren't there, right? QA team, how can I support the automation tools uh, for your job if my guys aren't there, right? So, and then you go to our team, my own team, and I say, do you guys want the quality of life? Because people will focus on quality of life more than anything, right? And you, you focus on that because that's where people, that's what they want. And I say to them, if you, if you want quality of life, trust me, the transformation program is going to help you. It's going to reduce the stability. I would say increase your stability. It's going to reduce your effort in the middle of the night, right? And then you'll be able to be here during the day to do not the day-to-day activities. You'll be able to do some of the innovative projects now, right? Because now you're offloading a lot of that to the tool set. So you're freeing up your time. So you're trying to educate them of the win-win-win situation across the board, right? So it's from a support perspective, right? And it's also from a service perspective and it's also from a quality of life, right? And that's what you have to educate across the entire org, right? So the last question I have, what advice would you give to a new manager or CTO uh, that kind of facing transformation changes? How would, like, what advice would you give? Like final advice? (laughs) 
Run. Hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) To be honest with you, your, your tech plan and your roadmap is your foundation to your transformation because you need to focus on those three pillars, right? People, process, and technology. And that encompasses with your roadmap and, and your tech plan because your tech plan will tell you where you are today and where you want to be. That will then feed into your people. Can they do that? Or do you need to, do you need to implement or hire new people? Or do you need to implement new tools from a technology perspective? Or are you missing a process that it doesn't exist? Or do you need to improve on a process? That is what is crucial to any C-suite individual in that position. That is the foundation. They need to spend time to figure out where they are today and where they want to be. And that's how it works. That's great. Thanks. So Frank, one thing we'd like to invite you to do is, um, you know, is uh, can people contact you? For what reason can they contact you? And how can they contact you? And do you have anything? anything, Yeah. Do you have anything that you're up to that you'd like to let people know about? So, you know, my personality is I've always been a problem solver. I'm always willing to help people out. That's just who I am. All right. And it's always been there since day one of, of my, of, of my tech life. So if people want to contact me, you know, they can contact me. Am I allowed to say my email address or how do, how do I, uh, yeah, whatever uh, however you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. They can contact me through LinkedIn would probably be the best way. Right. So Frank, like Alameda. the other part is that I'm actually working on a, a, for HashiCorp, a transformational presentation for them. I'm actually going through, cool. and that's actually in a couple of weeks. We, we know this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they've actually asked me uh, if I can be a presenter uh, for them uh, in the next, uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, just great. to go through my transformational program and, and basically uh, hopefully help some, someone out. Right. And, uh, and yeah, that's it, man. It's like, you know, I'm here to help out. That's who I am. I always will be. Right. I love helping people out. Well, that seems pretty obvious to me, Frank. Um, <laughs> even uh, you, you were willing to entertain my, my rogue LinkedIn message <laughs> all the night. <laughs> hey, that was cool, man. That was interesting. <laughs> oh, LinkedIn is awesome. <laughs> oh, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> just reach out to people anytime and just get in touch. Look, it's a great example. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's it just people just trying new things, right? It's just, don't be afraid. Right. It's like, it's, this is a, a world of, of innovation and transformation, right? It's, it's have fun. That's what it is. key. Have fun with it. Right. That is, that there is, is no, there's no right. There's no wrong. Right. It's making sure that your end goal, you meet your end goal. Right. That's all. I uh, really appreciate you mentioning the, the having fun part, right? Because <laughs> where we spend, some of us get really stuck in being right. And uh, we forget how to have fun with our, with our craft and our work. Uh, so good for you, Frank. That's, that's tremendous. Yeah. That's great yeah. advice. Yeah. That's one of my motives with, with, with my motives with my team is, is have fun, mm-hmm. right? If, you don't, if you're not having fun, then uh, it, it becomes a very hard task at hand. Thanks for tuning into the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, we would appreciate your feedback. If you want even more content like what you just heard, check out pragmaticlead.com. If you have a story to tell, send an email to pragmaticlead at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Thanks again.